last week, since we started Thanksgiving break, uh, what we did was uh, I didn't want to cover any new ground. So we basically took what we had learned and we applied it to a particular situation. So we looked at, um, you know, kind of what, what do you do if you are, uh, you know, I, I think we talked about fear and the fear of never being married, and how would you apply what we learned? If that was a debilitating, sinful fear, um, how, would, how would you apply what we learned in this Growing Up series to that fear? So that's kind of what we did last week. And then um, I didn't get any feedback from anyone. So we're going to do it again this week. Um, and just, you know, we can never apply things too much. So uh, we're going to apply it again this week. But I realized, you know, as I was kind of getting back into this and thinking about application, that we've covered so much ground in some of, some of this series. You know, if we kind of go back and, and look at where we've been, you know, we looked at the, in that first week kind of the goal, what is maturity, and then the means. We looked at, you know, the church and the spirit and the truth. And, um, and the world, and how the Lord's using all these things to grow us into his image. But then where the rubber meets the road is really in this process. And we spent, how many lessons is that? You know, a bunch of lessons on um, this process of, of maturing and how to, how, to, how to grow out of these sin patterns that we often find ourselves in, especially if we're younger in the faith and we are ensnared in them. Um, so we've looked at that in depth, and there's been a lot of sort of steps and sub-steps and all these things. So what I did last week is I kind of I dropped back and put it all, synthesized it all together into, into basically four overarching steps for us. So if we're thinking about, okay, I'm struggling with this area, what do I do next? Um, that's, that's kind of the synthesis. Um, so we'll, we'll get back into those here. And this just quick review, and then we'll jump in. Um, the first step is we, we don't want to despair, remember. We don't want to isolate when we're in sin, but we want to seek help in the church. That's kind of the, the initial step. You know, we're so prone to, when we're in, in patterns of sin, we're so prone to despair. We think, you know, we're never going to get out of this, we're never going to get help, or I can't grow. Um, but really, all those, are, all those are just lies that we're believing. And we're tempted to isolate ourselves because we're ashamed. We think that we can't, you know, nobody understands us or uh, what are they going to think of me? Maybe there's fear of man going on there. Whatever the case is, Satan wants to kind of get you in a corner, get you isolated, get you out of the, of the church, even if you're coming on a week-in and week-out basis, you know, to the church. Nobody really knows you. You just kind of fly in, fly out. Uh, you stay surfacey with people. That's not, the, that's not the answer. So Galatians 6.1 would say that you need, you're ensnared, and you need restoration. You need help from someone in the church who is spiritual, who can help you navigate through that, uh, out of that ensnarement and back to being useful to Christ. Because if you're in a habitual sin pattern, you're not, you're not useful to Christ in, in that. You're like a broken arm um, that needs to be mended so that it can become strong again. So that would be the first step, just kind of baseline. Don't despair. Don't isolate. Seek help in the church. And then the next step again, just summarizing, is whatever sin you're in, don't deny that sin. Meaning, I'm using the language from 1 John 1, where he says, you know, if we say we have no sin, uh, we, we are tempted to deny in all these ways. We minimize our sin, we shift the blame on others for our sin, we don't take responsibility for it. So don't do that, 
but in, or don't, definitely don't try to atone for it yourself, but confess it humbly and honestly. Take full responsibility for it, confess it, and entrust yourself to Christ alone. So Christ is your atoning sacrifice. He has done everything you need for that particular sin pattern. So you have to get in the habitual pattern of looking to Him in faith and away from yourself, owning it, confessing it, um, and then embracing that new identity that He's given to you by faith. So again, if you're brand new, my chance today, and you've not heard any of the series, this is going to sound like a fire hose, okay? Uh, so all of it's online through our app. I would definitely recommend you go back and, and unpack some of this. All right, that would be the second step. Then, you know, once you're kind of, you're, you're, you're trusting Jesus again, you're, you're hoping in him, uh, the, the pattern is probably still there in your life. You've still got to deal with the pattern, right? Like it's, it's, it's still going to trip you up. So now, the next step is you're going to begin to begin noting those patterns and then taking those thoughts captive because you're always thinking in those patterns. You kind of get in that sin and your mind starts working. There's deceptions that are at play. So you've got to take those thoughts captive, learn to do that. Learn to, to combat those lies with truth, so renew your mind. And then you've got to prep for the next temptation. And we'll look at that again in, in real time. So that's kind of synthesis of step number three there. And then step number four, once you've kind of got some of these truths in place, you know what you're prepared for your next temptation. Now you've got to work the plan. You've got to yield to Christ by faith in those moments of temptation. You've got to yield to him over what you feel, over what you might want. Learn to respond in him. Uh, learn to respond to Jesus in, in faith and obedience. And then, you know, I kind of tagged on there. I don't know, I, actually I didn't, but included in that would be um, responding to, to your obedience and to your failures in faith. So learning how to do that. So you're going to either obey or you're going to sin in the future in this besetting area, and you've got to learn to continue to respond to both of those um, in faith. So I know that's a fire hydrant, but last time we, we looked at how this process would be applied to somebody who is controlled by fear and in particular the fear of never being married. So we had some, some fun with that one um, because we've all, we've all been there. Uh, maybe you're there at this point, um, but I think that was helpful. And before we move forward from that one, I just want to see those of you who are here, were there any questions that were raised out of that, out of that session as you kind of went back and thought about what we talked about? I just want to give you a chance here. I know I'm kind of hitting you cold. You have to drag back from before Thanksgiving. It's, uh, it's tough. Any questions there before I just barrel on? All right. Well, you can stop me at any point and, and ask. Okay? Today we're going to look at another common sin struggle. And I just I figured, again, just trying to get the ones I deal with the most. We'll look at the, the struggle against lust or pornography. Um, another easy topic here to, to just tackle, like fear. Um, We'll look at this one, and, or we could say it positively, this, the, the pursuit of purity. Okay. So what I want to do is I want to work through these steps for, in this case, we'll say I, I picked on the ladies last time, a young man who is ensnared in this uh, sin. So let me just, before we get into it, let me set up the scenario. So let's just say there's a young man, he stumbled into pornography in high school. It's been an off and on indulgence for several years. It typically starts, you know, 
as he's just kind of right before bed, he's innocently browsing social media, he's checking his feeds, and then it leads to some YouTube scrolling, then eventually to watching some videos on there that are inappropriate, sinful. He feels guilty, he's dirty, he's ashamed, he doesn't know how to get out of it. He's kind of cut things off in the past. He's, he's, he thought he could just stop if it got too bad, but um, he's never really been able to get free of it for the last three years. So now he's realized it's, it's a much worse problem than he thought. So, again, if you remember Galatians 6.1, this would be in the category, he would be ensnared, right? He would be ensnared in the sin, he'd be caught. And when you're caught, you don't really know how to get out. You need some help of somebody to, to help you get out. You need to be restored. And it's kind of like, if you want to think, I've ta- I told the leaders this uh, as we've been working through, you know, as we've been um, looking at this whole process together. It's like you, the analogy of kind of going into the woods. You leave the path of discipleship. You know, you've got a clear path. You walk off into the, the woods of temptation. You kind of get in there, and these woods are full of bear traps, okay, like the big claw kind. You non-hunters, a bear trap is pretty, pretty gnarly, all right? Um, so you get in there, and you get caught in one of these. Your foot gets caught, and you don't know how to get out of it. So that's kind of the ensnared picture. So somebody who's restoring you is going to come in, and they're going to help you first kind of get that foot out of the trap, right? That's the first step. When you're caught in sin, you've got to get the foot out of the trap. You've got to get free. But then there's sort of the next phase of you've got to get out of the woods, because the woods are also still full of these traps, so you've got to navigate back out of the woods, back to the path. So that's, that's the idea. So he's ensnared right now. And so first, the first step here, the first how to get unhinged would be these kind of first, first two steps here. Not despair, not isolating, but seeking help in the church. Right? So what, what should that look like for this young man as he's coming here? Well, he shouldn't obviously what? Isolate. What would that look like? Not asking for help, pretending like everything's okay, right? So that's definitely what he should not do. That's just going to perpetuate the problem. Um, so what should he do? Okay, seek clarity from someone else who's not enslaved to the same sin. That's right. Is that going to be hard or easy? It's going to be difficult. What's he going to have to confront? His pride, yeah, fear of man, reputation, want people to think well of him. He's going to have to be willing to confront those things because he believes Galatians 6.1. Right? So he should, at a minimum, seek someone who can restore him. I would also say it's from the church. It's not just from a person. It is from a person, someone who can restore him, but it's, the help is from the church in general. So this guy should be coming to everything he can come to. Right? He should be coming to as many services as he can get to feasibly that will allow his schedule to make it and reprioritize his schedule if necessary. Why is that? Why would I say that? He's exposing himself to the truth, Matthew says. And why is that important? Because it's going to help him get out of sin, right? So if we're in sin because we're deceived, that means we need the truth. So if it would seem logical that any place that's proclaiming the truth that's in my church, that God's designed for me as a means for me to grow, I would want to be there, right, as much as I can. So, at a minimum, this guy, you know, application from step one would not look like 
you know, self-pitying in his dorm room, it would look like talking to somebody and getting to all of the, all of the services that he possibly can. All right? And again, just as a side note, for this particular sin struggle, because it is so common, sadly, and it is so enslaving, um, we've got some documents that we put together, resources that we've developed. So if, you, if you've got somebody who's discipling you and you're not really sure what to, what to go through, definitely uh, send me an email, shoot me a message, talk to me, and I can get you those resources. Um, I think they're pretty helpful. So first step, don't despair, isolate, but seek help in the church. Next step, don't deny or self-atone, but confess it and entrust yourself to Christ alone. All right, so let's, let's spread this out a little bit. So in this second step, this is really where you're, somebody's helping him kind of peel that bear trap back off his foot because he's not going to get out unless he learns to own it and come to Christ. You know, not like, I mean, he may need to be saved, but I'm not talking about salvation. Necessarily. I'm talking about coming to Christ in repentance and faith. So this is the first step. You can't just, you can't just get after battling sin and, until you're set free and it comes through this refreshingly simple and humbling process of confessing our sin to, to the Lord. All right, so what all is involved with this? What do you think? If he's not supposed to deny it, then what does he need to know? He needs to know what he needs to confess. What, what does he need to know about himself? This is the Reed Clay's mind game. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's right, yeah. So Mark 7, kind of dog-ear that. Well, definitely, that's definitely very important in this process. Those are good things. I think we're all sniffing around. I think... I would want to know, if I'm this guy, how am I tempted to deny my sin? Me, particularly. Like what? Because I've probably been denying it at some level. Um, so let's think, let's think about that. If I'm ensnared, I probably... Because if, if you're in a sin pattern, you're constantly, and you're a believer, you're constantly defiling your conscience. Right? I mean, you're constantly sinning against the Lord. You know it's sin. There's going to be guilt. That's just the way the Lord's designed it to work. That's a good thing. But you have to do something with that guilt when you're sinning. So, and it's usually because you're still ensnared, you're not doing the right thing with it. So that means you're probably denying it in some way or you're trying to atone for it for yourself. So let's, how, how, what would that look like? Well, the temptations just to ignore his sin are very, very strong. Right? That would be a denial. If he's just, you know, he's looking at porn right before he goes to bed, he just, he feels guilty, he's like, he just closes out the app and then just goes to bed. Just goes about his day, I'm going to sleep this off, wake up the next day. Is that, is that a problem? It's a massive problem, right? That's just ignoring sin. Pretending it's not, <laughs> it's not there. Um, that's, not, that's, not, that's not good. And yet, we often do this. Um, this is incredibly convicting, even in the quote-unquote uh, respectable sins, to use Jerry Bridges' term. But temptation to ignore this is strong. There's no prayer, no repentance, just moving on, all right? Another temptation to, to deny would be like the temptation to blame shift, right? So what, what are some common ways that, that we're tempted to blame shift in this area? 
or he might be tempted to blame ship. Okay, everybody does this. Yeah, that'd be kind of minimizing it, right? Like I'm, yeah, everybody's doing it. It's not just a me problem, it's everybody problem, right? That's another denial, good. What are some other denials? Somebody else introduced it to me. Now, is there, is there reality to that? Yeah. I mean, Jesus has some pretty significant things to say about when you cause someone else to stumble, and meaning you inter- willingly introducing them to sin to get them to sin. Um, but is, is that, if, what are they doing if they're, if they're saying, well, they introduced me to it? Ultimately, what's that? Blame shifting. Yeah, they're shifting blame. They're saying, I'm ultimately not responsible for this. They are. Okay? Yeah, totally. What do we just often think? When I hear the most, it's kind of like, it's just a stupid cell phone that I have. Right? As though the cell phone is the problem. Um, you know, if I can just lock myself out of these apps, again, which is a good thing to do, but if you, you kind of think, well, I can just, just get out of that or whatever, I'm just, I'm, I'll be all right. You know, just, it's, it's the computer's problem. It's my cell phone's problem. If I didn't have that thing, I wouldn't be tempted or I wouldn't lust. Um, again, just kind of blame shifting. Uh, another way we do it is, uh, how am I supposed to avoid this sexualized culture that we live in? It's everywhere, you know? It's just everywhere. It's a billboard. And it's like, I can't, I, and what are you saying? It's the culture's fault that I'm doing this. Now, again, do we live in a sexualized culture? Yes. Is it on every YouTube ad at some level? Yes. Um, so we have to be very careful in terms of what we're, how we're approaching this. But it's not ultimately the culture's fault. Um, you know, again, we talked about minimizing. I think in another very, very common way that we, that we minimize it, we, we, we say things like, how am I supposed to suppress these desires? You know? Aren't they normal desires? I can't, how can I be held accountable? What we're saying is, how can I be held accountable for these innate desires that I possess that I can't change? So again, or, and then we'll try to have solutions like just take a cold shower or whatever. And again, it's not that that's completely wrong, but I think it's, if that's what you're saying, you're saying the fault is there in my biology then that's another, another form of, of blame shifting. So my point there is not that he's going to be doing all of these all the time, but I think, yeah, go ahead. Sure. So if they're if they're a non-believer, uh, it's a great question. So I think you'd, it you would kind of it would be the same approach for believer non-believer, but you'd have to start further back for the non-believer. Meaning you would have to help them see that hey, this is this is wrong. This is going to be destructive because God has actually revealed this to us in a book called the Scriptures. And then you're going to be getting back to that as the authority, right? And talking with them about that. 
and spending however long you need to spend there, establishing that, that there is a God, he's revealed himself in this word, and just try to unpack that. And you need to probably take a little bit longer with that person. With the believer, I think it's a, little bit, a bit different. We're actually going to talk about where we go to the believers who are saying, I believe the Bible, I believe it's true, but we functionally don't, right? So I think the, the, the answer there is to help them dispel those, those forms of blame shifting. So what I, what I help, you know, that's a, the unbeliever question is a big question because there's, there's lots of moving parts, and depending on exactly what's in your mind, it's, a, it's hard to answer exactly how you'd approach that because you could approach it from a lot of different angles. But at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is trying to get back to the scriptures as the authority because they have an authority. It's usually their experience, what they feel. And so we're, we're trying, to, trying to help them see there's, a, there's, a, there's two authorities that are at, that are at war here. Um, and that's going to lead you to destruction. Yours is. But there is redemption and hope out here, you know, in and through Christ. So that would be kind of a really short answer uh, to that question. Does it help? Okay. All right, good question. Uh, don't be shy. Uh, good one to ask. So, okay, if they're blame-shifting, blame tempting to deny, so how, do we, how, do, how does this young man battle that? Well, he's got to understand a few things, and we kind of, we already started going down that path a little bit. Well, he's got to understand that what he is indulging in is very dangerous and it's sinful to God. Okay? So he has to know that. He has to know what the Scripture... The Scripture is very clear, uh, painfully clear, about this problem. The Bible is full of warnings against lust because of how destructive it can be. And the Bible gives us these warnings to motivate our repentance. And it's not just warnings. He also holds out promises. The Scriptures hold out promises for us to motivate this repentance, but this, this young man would need to load up these things in his heart. You know, some examples would be like Matthew 5, where Jesus talks about the, the severity of, of lust in the heart. It's the same as adultery, and you've got to deal with it radically. You have to cut off your hand, gouge out your eye, like whatever is necessary. Uh, that's a warning from the lips of our Savior himself, talking about internal lust and saying, this is a big deal. Because it's so, it's so destructive. You've got to deal with it radically. Or, you know, like in Ephesians 5, Paul takes, Paul takes the bar and he sets it really high for the church. He says there shouldn't be even a hint of joking about sex, like sexual innuendos, even in the church. shouldn't even be a hint of it. That's the standard. So we often drop that bar. Don't like I think we were talking about earlier. Well, everybody's doing it. Every Christian I know is looking at it. It's just like, well, we've lowered the bar. Like Satan's got us right where he wants us because we, we've got that bar low. So I think it's good to kind of elevate that, especially in this culture that we're in. Uh, could talk a lot more about those, those pieces. But, so it would kind of start there. If we're trying to motivate repentance in our hearts with whatever sin it is, we've got to load up in our minds what the Bible actually says about it. Because, you know, just a hypothetical scenario. Sometimes I talk to people and they're like, well, I just can't, I can't stop looking at this. And I said, what if... You know, somebody was outside of your home. What if a terrorist was outside of your home? There was a drone on you, and it kind of had a laser focused on, on you. And at a certain point, or, well, let's change the analogy. Let's, let's up it a little bit. There's a drone. I usually say, find the person that you love the most. Kind of picture before I say any of this other stuff, right? And they're like, okay, I got it. 
And then now picture there's a drone outside of their house with a laser focused on them. And at any, the next time you look at porn, it will shoot them. And they'll die. Would you look at porn again? And almost all of them say never. I would never look at it again. Why? Because the stakes are high, right? The stakes are high, and you're going to say it's not worth that. The stakes are far higher in Scripture about our sin, and especially about pornography, lust, those kinds of things. But we minimize those things. We bring those standards down. So one of the first things I like to do is try to elevate that standard and help, help folks see the, the stakes are much higher than, than what I just painted for you. Um, but that's not all you do, right? So you're, you're loading up in your mind and heart some of these things. But I think the next thing, getting to what Bobby said earlier, is this young man's got to know that he's ultimately responsible for his sin. He's ultimately responsible for it. He's got to realize that his own heart has produced that covetous, lustful desire. So if, if you want to look, he mentioned Mark 7. You can turn there. That's a, that's a really good paragraph to try to establish this for somebody. I can just read it. I can read it to you. It's Mark seven twenty. if you just want to write it down. Jesus said, what, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, so your, your innermost of who you are, your inner core, the heart, out of the heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, that's pornea, so your heart produces this. It produces theft, murder, adultery. There it is again, adultery, another one. Coveting, again. When you're looking at pornography, you're coveting something that you can't have. Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, by the way, when you're usually deceiving people, you know, you're pretending that you don't have a problem when you do. Sensuality, there's another one. And where does he say that all this comes from? Verse 23, all these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. So, one of the reasons I like to start with how they're tempted to blame shift is because that puts teeth on it. It's like you're blaming your sin on other things, and Jesus, your Savior, says it's coming from you. So you have a choice to make right out of the gate. Are you going to believe Jesus, or are you going to believe yourself? And get this, if you're friends, if you're helping your friends, or you're counseling yourself right now, if you won't submit here, none of the rest of the process is going to work for you. Do you get that? If you won't take this as truth, then none of your other energies of trying to help people with covenant eyes or be their accountability partner, none of that will work. Because this is the only portal out is by recognizing that it comes from you if they're still blaming people for their sin, they're still playing the victim card, they will not be able to be free. And if you do that long enough, 1 John says you're not a believer. 1 John 1. The truth is not in him, is what it says, about those who deny their sin. So, stakes are high right here, and so this is why I kind of spell this out. Okay, so then the next thing this young man's going to need to know, not only is the warnings and 
what the Bible says about it. He's going to know that his, his heart's responsible. And he's got to know that he cannot cleanse or transform himself. Like he can't do that. That's not an option. So one of the things that, that people, when they realize their guilt, they want to do is they want to self-atone. They want to go and, and try to clean themselves up. Someone else has to clean him through something else that that person's done, and that's Jesus. So if you want to text, like Jeremiah 13 talks about our inability to change ourselves. Jeremiah 13, 23, specifically. So what does he do? He needs to admit these things before the Lord. The, the, the answer is refreshingly simple. He needs to know he's a wretch and plead with the Lord for, for mercy, undeserved. Right? That's what it means to confess your sin. It's to say, I'm guilty. <laughs> There's no magic in it. There's no... The Lord's not saying, oh, you confessed properly, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you... I'm going to forgive you now. Confession is simply saying, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy. Like, I'm guilty. I'm, I should be punished. All I can do is ask you to give me what I don't deserve. It looks, it sounds like Luke 18, 13. Be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he says. And so some, sometimes, you know, I like to have people write out these prayers of confession just so we can see, okay, okay, are we, are we, are we confessing these things? Are you recognizing your, your, your attempts to deny your sin? And can you confess all that? Can you just bring that as like one big sinful package to the Lord and say like, this is, this is what I've done. And lay it there. But then not just admit it, because this is, this is where it gets glorious, okay? It's not just admitting that you're a sinner, but it's also entrusting yourself to the person and promises of Jesus in the gospel. That text we've been looking at in 1 John, that's where that ends. 1 John 2. He says, my, my children, I'd have you sin. If you, I don't want you to sin. It's essentially a paraphrase. But if you do, he's already told us to confess it. Here he says, if you do, essentially look to Jesus. You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So it's knowing what He has done. Knowing the power that is available to us in and through the Spirit. That we are not going to stay enslaved to these things. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be a fight. But He's going to redeem us. He's going to cleanse us. There's going to be future grace, future power to overcome this sin. So this young man would need to know those promises. Those gospel, that gospel hope. He's got to know what Christ has accomplished for him. He's got to just yield to Christ's love and faith because he's not going to feel like he deserves it because he doesn't. But it's not contingent on whether or not he deserves it. Christ has made the promises. So we yield to him in faith. This young man needs to yield to, to Jesus in faith. In his prayer of confession, that one that I want him to write out, I would also want him to write out the confession that, that overflows into like a thanksgiving to where he's saying like, I'm, I'm going to, based on this promise, Lord, I'm, I'm trusting this promise today. Thank you for this promise. Thank you. I'm, re- I'm going to choose to rejoice in you that I'm your child and that you've given me your spirit and that I'm not going to be enslaved to this forever even though I don't know the way out right now. I mean, that's the language of faith. And I want to see this, I would want to see this young man um, doing both of those. Okay? And then, Last thing kind of in this, in this step, another thing I want to see this young man doing is kind of in an initial way forsaking those portals of temptation. Right? Because if he's going he's gonna to cry, he saw his tears, he's going to tell me how bad he is, he deserves the mercy of Jesus, but he's not willing to get rid of the app. 
He's not willing to inconvenience himself with covenant eyes. He's not willing to do what. It's just like, we're just you're just playing me, dude. You know. Um, so that's not going to fix him. Just get in the app. But it's it's a good first step. It's like you're closing that door because you're too weak to even go by there. You know, it's like I can't even go by there because I'm so weak. I'm gonna that's gonna catch me off guard. You might even go without your phone. You know, you might use a public computer. Whatever you have to do while you're in that, that weak state. Again, it's not the computer's fault. It's not the phone's fault. But those are portals of temptation, and then you're aware of that. And that's kind of that application of the Matthew 5, the cutting off your hand, the gouging out your eye. Um, so, again, the problem's in the heart. It's not going to be the ultimate fix. But that's a good first, first step. All right? So I think all that, you kind of package that all up. I think that's just all part of this major step two of not denying your sin, not self-atoning, but confessing it to the Lord and trusting yourself to Christ alone. All right? Does that make sense? Deep breath. Your foot's out of the trap. Right? Like, the foot is out. You're not trying to, you're not blaming your sin on people. You're not, you're not trying to atone for it yourself. You're looking to Jesus, and you're in a real relationship with Jesus. He's going to lead you out now. Okay? And if you get in the trap again, rinse and repeat. Right? Like, don't deny like, go back to confession. He's going to, he's killed. And so you're going to be trained to get your own foot out of the trap in, in these ways. That's step number two. Okay? So once you are out, what does this look like? Step number three. I've got about ten minutes left. My clock's accurate. All right. Step number three. Now you've got to get out of the woods. Okay? Because so, there's more traps. Now you've got to learn to fight by faith. So what you want to start doing is noting those patterns. When are, the, when are, the, when are they going to come? And then what, are, what am I thinking? This young man, what is he thinking in those temptations? Get those out. Take those thoughts captive. And then start renovating those thoughts with the truth. And then ultimately preparing for that next temptation as you, as you do that. Now, this is where, I mean, you need help in all these steps, especially as you're just getting going, but this is where you really need help because the lies are enslaving. um, They're easy to fall for. They're hard to discern uh, just because that's what it means to be in progress, right? So just to keep it simple, you want to start with sort of identifying that most recurring scenario of the temptation or, or or the last time that he just sinned, right? So when we said, it was when? Right before bed. Right? So let's just take that one. Let's say it was right before bed. So then you might want to, th- this young man would need to think through what is he thinking in that scenario? What's the real that's going on in his mind? What's the thought process that he was meditating on that was leading him into that, that temptation? Some guys are like, I'm not thinking about anything. Yes, you are. Okay? So don't argue with me on this. Just let's wait till it comes next time and just kind of pay attention. What might be some things that this young man might be tempted to tell himself in the moment? When these desires come up, desires for pleasure. Yeah, Luke. Yep. So this thought just came out of nowhere, and I can't really do anything with it. So how would you battle that? Is that true? 
Okay, came from your heart, right? Definitely feels like it just came out of nowhere, so, but, but can I do anything about it? Yeah, you can. You can definitely battle it in that moment. So that would be the lie, that I can't do anything about it. Yes, actually you can. You have a spirit of God. You can fight. Um, so, good one, yeah. Here's one. Hey, I know this is wrong, but this is not that big of a deal. My lust is only affecting me. It's not like I'm having sex with anybody. That's a real easy justification. My lust is only affecting me. It's kind of a private deal. Just listen to this. Lust defiles the church. 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Whoa. Lust also renders this young man ineffective in using his gifts in the church. 2 Timothy 2, 21-22. So if he's, if he's defiling the church by his lust, when he looks at it in private in his dorm room, and because he's part of the church and he's defiled, and then he's, he's further breaking his arm, so to speak, if he's an arm and he's gifted to be an arm in the church, and he's just continuing to break that by repetitive sin, and he's ineffective, that means then that the church that he's a part of is suffering because he's dead weight. You follow, you follow the logic? He's not using his gifts like he could be, like God's designed him and saved him to be in that body because he's self-seeking over here with pornography. Ephesians 4.16 talks about the gifts and how we need to use them together in the body. So, it's another truth. Another one would be, lust in the heart is equated with adultery. That's what Jesus says, Matthew 5. Lust is coveting. It's wanting something that the Lord has not provided, the sexual pleasure, and is taking advantage of others to get it. So if I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal, well, whoa, actually it is a huge deal. And if you're thinking, I'm only just affecting me with this, consider this. This young man is also supporting the satanic porn industry when he watches those videos and goes to those sites. It's not neutral. He's actively promoting Satan's kingdom instead of Christ's kingdom. He's promoting the, the enslavement of those women that he's looking at. He's just, it's like he's, he's writing a check to Satan and saying, here, go use this for more porn. Go use this to enslave more women. Go use this to enslave others to look at this. And just come on and on. So the, that is a lie, right? That it only affects me. I, me looking at porn tonight in my dorm room, in my phone, on YouTube, I'm the only one that's affected. So what's the big deal? Lie. Okay? And you can start to see the power of this, Right? If I were to say, just get off your phone, dude. Like, just get your phone off. Like, go for a jog. What have we totally missed? The overhaul of the human being, right? With the truth. We've not even touched these things that are at the operating level of his heart. So we have to go there. Okay? There's so many others that we can talk about. We'll skip those. Because I want to I take, this, take this full on, all right? So whatever, whatever thought that comes into his mind, 
that's tempting him. Oh, that's not a big deal. Or, oh, I just can do this. Oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm so far away from marriage that marriage is not even on the horizon for me, so I'm just going to, I'm going to look at this anyway. Uh, let's talk about that one. I said we weren't going to talk about that one. Let's talk about that one. Marriage is so far on the horizon. I can't, I'm not even going to be, I'm not going to be married for like another decade, so I can't possibly not do this for the next decade. Lie. Reality is that every time you do that, you're becoming more and more unmarriable. Right? Like, you're just, you're, you're, you're continuing to oppress women if you're, if you're this young man. You're not cultivating the heart of an Ephesians 5 husband who, who leads his wife in purity because he can't even be pure. He's not going to be marriable and every time he, he gives in because he's going to be married in the future, he's just delaying that, that line, that lawful gift of God, that companionship relationship that God has created. We are sexual beings. These are good desires properly, you know, when they're not idolatrous. These are good things that God's designed marriage to be, that, to, for that to be part of. So we need, so the young man then would need to be availing himself of being pure so that he can become married, right? It's not the opposite. It doesn't work the opposite way. You see how enslaving these things are and ensnaring these ways of thinking can be because they're just churning up from our deceived hearts. So there's a lot more of those we could go through. Just wanted to hit that one. Um, so if you really believe this, so that's the next step, right? Because you're thinking, okay, here's my thoughts. I'm taking these captive, renovating them with truth. Here's what these texts say. So if I really believe this in the next moment, what would I do? It's the next question, right? So I believe this in the moment when I'm in my bed and I'm getting ready to start surfing the social media, which you should probably have already closed, deactivated the accounts, right? But he's in the, he's in the bed in the moment thinking about it. What would he do instead? You tell me. If he believed some of those truths we just talked about. Delight by faith? How? Yeah. So prayer's a good start. God help me. Right? Versus just mindlessly scrolling. And then another good thing would be to say, hey, what are those truths I've just been working through? Right? Let me go back to those and actively call those to my mind in this moment. Right? What else could he do? Yep, that's kind of what we were just talking about. But yeah, it's great. Yeah, loading up your mind with, with those truths. Yep. Jojo just said pursuing a fruitful action in place of it. So like he said, like praying for others in the church. You were going to say something else? Right. Something to, to, to be, I would, yeah, definitely. You need to think, we need to think about in that moment, right before bed, what could he do that would build Christ's kingdom, not Satan's kingdom? There needs to be an activity beyond just, God, help me, and reviewing the truths, something he can put his hands to that wouldn't be porn, 
that would be fruitful for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. So, Jojo mentioned prayer. So in that, in that case, because you're in bed and it's, you're sleepy, I would, I would say, let's, let's get very practical. Let's start writing out your prayers in a, in a notebook or in a loose-leaf journal or something and give those prayers with a, with a desire, I'm going to give this prayer to that person. So that way, not only am I praying, and is God going to hear my prayer and, and work for their sanctification, which is, that's good, uh, I'm also learning the discipline of prayer. I'm learning how to pray faithfully, consistently, and I'm going to encourage them with that prayer that I prayed for them. There's a three for one right there, okay, that, that you can just do by that one act of, of praying that this young man could do, okay? So that's, that's a good idea. There's a, lot of other, there's a lot of other things we can talk about, but my point is you've got to have something that you're doing in obedience, obedience to Christ, instead of just like, ah, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that. What are you going to, you got to take your energies and channel them toward building Christ's kingdom actively. So you got to have your discipler and you guys think of some practical things that, that you could do in that moment, all right? And then step four, we'll end here, is yielding to Christ in that next temptation, so in that, what you're, what you're doing in step three, kind of in my mind, is you're, you know, the difference between step three and step four is step three, you're like, you're, this is your battle plan. You know? You're kind of doing the tactical stuff when you're not in the temptation. You're able to think clearly about it. You're able to kind of like map it out. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to put the truths right here. I'm going I'm to do my study to get those truths and know which, which truths they are. And I'm going to get ready, step three. And then step four is I'm going to implement in the temptation. Because it's coming. Right? Step four is implement. Yield to Christ in that next temptation. Like this, this next time it comes, it's not to be like, oh no, like temptation. It's all right. It's time to exercise. It's time to build some spiritual muscle here and hit it head on. So you're hit. And I, I would say here, you've got to be proactive in if you don't already have a quiet time, definitely get that, like have that time in the beginning of the day where you're able to recall these things that you're working on, pray to God about them. And again, there's, that's a whole other topic, but have that time in the morning where you're, if you're an instrument, you're tuning your instrument before you play it. Uh, that's very important. Renewing your mind. You're getting your head in the game. You're getting ready for the day. It's proactive. And then there's sort of the reactive in the moment, right? As you withstand the temptation so that maybe your nighttime's coming. You know you're going to be tempted. So, okay, then I'm going to think through. There's my plan. Now it's time to implement the plan. I'm going to, I'm going to yield to Jesus. And it's not going to feel good. Okay, in the moment. It's going to feel like you're killing yourself. Like you're killing your desire. This is what you're doing. You're putting to death the deeds of the body by the power of the Spirit in that moment. So don't think, one of the major lies even coming out of this is once I do the step three, then step four is going to be easy. You know, Step four is not going to be easy. Step four is like you, you just came out of the drills and now you've got to go kill somebody, you know? And I, you're going to kill you. I've got a battle plan in my mind, right? So it's, it's going to be difficult. It's a, it's a day-in and day-out battle, Hebrews 5. But the, the beauty of this for this young man is that every one of those temptations become an opportunity to build spiritual muscle. Every one of them. It's like, I want to grow. Here's how you do it. You know, you work the plan day in and day out. It, this is going to build that, those convictions of a pure husband day in and day out. It's not perfection. 
But it's his willingness to battle, his willingness to fight, his willingness to root out those lies and really go heads, you know, headlong into the battle, courageous into it. Again, he's not going to be perfect, but he will grow. The Spirit will use these acts of faith to grow him step by step as he fights, as he scraps to be obedient. Um, and we need each other you know, in this. And then again, failure and fruit will end here. Any, if he fails, what does he do? He goes back to step number two. Right? Christ hasn't forsaken him. Christ is with him. All of that obedience, let's say he obeyed for a week and then he looked at porn. All of that obedience has built muscle. Built spiritual muscle for that guy. None of that's wasted. He doesn't go back to square zero, ground zero. He's continued to build that. He just got to get back up on the path. All right, confess it. Don't self-pity. Don't deny. Don't stay in the hole. Get back on the path. Keep fighting. So that's how you, that's how you respond to failure in faith. And then you respond to obedience in faith, not by being proud. Look what I did. I obeyed. But by rejoicing in the fact that the Spirit's granting you that obedience. <laughs> So the obedience produces more humility. Um, it's a beautiful system, the way the Lord has designed this thing to work. Okay? So, um, so again, just quick, quick package there. If you can think about it, if you have questions, I'd be glad to try to field some of those. Um, does that make sense? Helpful? Not helpful? Okay? Great. Well, we're going to be dismissed, and I will see you over there. If you have questions, again, you know where to find me.